pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, oh God, we thank you for your grace to us in your word that you sustain us, that you have given us your Son, Jesus Christ, and through the free offer of the gospel, today is the day of salvation where your mercy is new to us and you delay and tarry in coming again because you have more mercy to pour out in this broken world. Let us persevere now, we pray all, thing, all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please remain standing if you're able for the reading of, of uh, the scripture today from Matthew 25, verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore. For you know neither the day nor the hour. You may be seated. Well, it's uh, once again an honor and, and, and privilege, really, to, to, to be here uh, with you all and to open and share God's word. Last week uh, and this week, we find ourselves in the Gospel of Matthew covering what are no doubt sobering texts, uh, texts where we see Jesus chastise the religious leaders and rendering warnings to us not to follow their practices. And now in Matthew 25, Jesus tells us very clearly through the parable of the ten virgins that the last days require patience and perseverance. The last days, waiting for the return of Christ has has a kind of etiquette, right? Uh, a, a customary code of behavior. That's what etiquette is for following Christ. And that etiquette in the last days is patience and perseverance. To be patient and persevere is to be wise, to be impatient, to speculate about the signs of the times, to scorn ordinary life And the duties in our ordinary lives is foolish. Um, It's a sobering passage, uh, but sometimes a sober truth, a hard truth, is filled with more hope and encouragement than we might first realize. So that's what we're going to look at today, the etiquette of the foolish and the etiquette of the wise in the last days, the etiquette of the foolish and the etiquette of the wise. 
Now, when I mean etiquette, again, I don't mean like a class where you, uh, you learn how to fold napkins and put the fork to the left of the plate type of a, th uh, of, of a thing. It's the, it's the behavior that is, cu is customary for Christians in the last days. Earlier this summer, I, uh, I preached a sermon on the fifth commandment, the fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother. And I, fa I found that it was a difficult sermon um, to study for and, and, and write for a number of reasons. But, but one being, in the West, in America, I, I, I think in, in particular, I'm not sure that we really know what it means to show honor to something or someone. I wonder, um, have you asked yourself at various points um, in your life, right, consciously, how can I show honor to uh, this thing or this person? Um, to be frank, it's not, it, it's not always obvious to us like it might be if, if, if you're from Eastern countries or cultures. And if this text about bridesmaids essentially being locked out of a wedding reception and celebration seems odd to you or a little harsh, might I suggest that it's primarily because we, you and I, don't have many categories or ideas for how to honor the things and people in our life. See, in our hyper-individualized culture when, where we can curate most things in our life, where we choose where to live, choose who we want to be, we don't quite have a sense for what it means to play a significant part, a significant role in a family or institution and how to show honor in our role to others around us. But that, but that actually is a primary theme of this text, which I think we will see. Recently, in, um, in September, the U.S. Senate decided to formalize a dress code. I'm not sure if you saw this in the news. A newly elected senator who, who, who campaigned on being a, a normal, everyday, average working American was um, was elected to the Senate and was 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 appearing presiding in the Senate and I believe sometimes wearing um, hoodies and shorts very casual uh, wear and it caused quite the controversy. Um, at one point, the Senate thought about accommodating the casual wear, but then they quickly voted in on instating a, a very formal dress code requiring uh, men to wear suits when presiding in the Senate. And one pundit commenting in favor of the new dress code said uh, the following in the New York Times, quote, far too many people see important institutions not as spaces that shape them, but as platforms at which to appear and to be used to form a brand. Something as arbitrary as a dress code when appearing in front of an important body of people is a way of conforming people to the institution rather than making the institution about them. So what they're saying is, is that the heightened dress code is a way of showing honor to the institution that they're a member of. See, if you show up to this important work in a sweatshirt, well, it might send a message to others that this work actually isn't so important. The etiquette is communicating something, and it can show honor or dishonor 
in our role and work. Similarly, um, let's say if you're asked to be a groomsman or bridesmaid in a wedding, right? You're, you are being asked to participate in a wedding in a particular, more involved way. And even if blue looks better on you than pink, it doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. You're not showing up to the wedding in the wrong colored dress or tie. Because as guests, the wedding day is about something more important than our individual preferences. If you were here last week, the sermon was on Matthew 23, where, where we saw the religious leaders heaping on burdensome laws, extra-biblical uh, standards on people that were um, a way of showing off you know, one's piety or one's status in, in the group. It was a way of following a group's man-made rules in order to gain acceptance in that group. And Jesus criticized these practices very strongly. And he went on to critique the scribes and Pharisees, saying, woe to them, seven times in chapter 23. He says, for they tithe and mint. They tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. They're full of greed and self-indulgence. They're whitewashed tombs, he says. If we had lived in the days of our fathers, Jesus says, the scribes and Pharisees would have taken part in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Heavy words. Chapter 23 ends with Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. Oh, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings? And you were not willing, he says. Then in chapter 24, it says, Jesus leaves the temple. His disciples come after him and they point out the buildings of the temple. And then G Jesus begins to foretell the destruction of of the temple. He begins to talk about the end of the age, how this kind of hypocrisy that has been seen by the leaders around them will not go on and on, but that justice and judgment is coming. And he says we must live accordingly because concerning that day and hour of when justice and judgment will come, no one knows the day nor the hour. He says. So Jesus tells us ways to live within these last days. And at the end of chapter 24, Jesus gives a parallel parable to the one we just read here about the ten virgins. The end of 24 is a parallel parable um, where he, he, he commands us again to be watchful and ready. For we, again, we don't know the day nor the hour. He says he's going to come like suddenly like a thief in the night. He, he gives a short poem there about a faithful and a wise servant and a wicked servant. In both of these parables about the, the faithful, wise, and wicked servants in chapter 24 and the parable here about these ten bridesmaids, both of these give us guidance and instruction to be watchful and ready because his second coming can happen at any time. So how does being a bridesmaid in a wedding help to tell us how to be watchful and ready? How does that help us to live with dignity and honor 
in our role in the last days. Verse 1, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. For when the fools took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. See, weddings in the ancient Near East, in the first century, especially in Jewish culture, they're very, very important. Even today, if you've attended a Jewish wedding, Syrian or Indian wedding, listen, they, they know how to party. That's, it's very important. It's amazing. The, 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 the weddings last for days and days. They're very, very important in the first century. Attendance was crucial. There was no, I regrettably and sorrowfully inform you that I won't be able to attend. No, your tasks, your daily tasks were put on hold. All the families and guests would spend as much as they could in honor of the event. And the ceremony would begin with this grand bridal procession where the bride would get ready at her home and would be led by a procession of these bridesmaids or virgins where she would be, the bride would, would be led to the groom's house. And the bridesmaids would sing and help lead and celebrate the bride. So it was a big honor to be asked to, to be a part of this. You were expected to do a good job, right? You had to show up ready to hype everyone up and set the tone of the celebration. Doing a good job showed honor to the bride and to the families um, of, of the bride and groom. So now when, when, when the noise of this bridal procession would make its way through town on its way to the groom's house, when it reached the groom's house, they would stop outside and wait for the groom to come out and greet them. And then when he would come out and greet them with, with some of his family and friends, he would take the bride into his home, symbolizing that the bride is becoming a part of his household. And this was the beginning of a seven-day feast and party. It's very important in this culture. So in this parable, we see that ten maidens are part of this procession. And they have arrived. They have escorted the bride to the groom's home. They are arrived. They're outside the groom's house. He has brought the bride into his home where both of their families are. And now the maidens are waiting outside where the happy couple will come and greet them again. Interestingly enough, the delay of meeting the couple outside was very common in these days. See, inside the house, the families of the bride and groom were there. And they, uh, well, they took care of some family business uh, during this time. They would haggle over gifts for the bride and groom. And if the bride was receiving a gift that was not deemed good enough for the bride, the parents could essentially barter um, for better gifts. And this could take a while. It often took a while. Um, and so part of being a good maiden of the bride was to be prepared for this customary delay. It was not uncommon. Being unprepared was foolish because it tended to happen. But not all maidens here, as we see, are the same. Some are wise and some are foolish. Some bring extra oil for their lamps, expecting, just in case, that there is a delay. 
Others are unprepared. They bring no extra oil. Rather than being prepared, they had their own assumptions and expectations about how the bride and groom were to conduct their wedding day. They never questioned their assumptions and expectations. Hmm. I don't know if you know this, but there are six Sundays, uh, six more Sundays until Christmas. Six. It's terrifying. It's, um, now, I love Christmas, tr- truly, but, um, you know, if you're like me, maybe your blood pressure just went up a little bit after he- hearing that. Um, it certainly is approaching quick, and it entails, it entails uh, so much extra pageantry, right? It requires a lot from you. Um, some of you, you know, you get your Christmas shopping done by December 1st. You're giddy and excited. The rest of us need to take a deep breath or something. But um, I, I do love Christmas. I love the beautiful season, you know, reflecting on Emmanuel God with us, and um, but I admit I'm also one of those dads. I, um, I I I I like to go all out. I love hanging Christmas lights. I love Christmas music. I love the weird claymation TV specials, um, Bean Crosby movies, uh, you know, um, all of it. And if you've seen the, have you ever seen? Well, the um, very crude Christmas film, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. The dad in the movie also goes all out. Um, Christmas and all the silly traditions for him, they, they, they have to be perfect. And of course, right, there's a lot of mishaps throughout the film. The Christmas lights don't work. The Christmas tree catches fire. The turkey explodes. There's a just, it's a lot of slapstick humor, and it's sort of, it's sort of painful to, to watch, but you can't really look away. You either love it or hate it. It's that kind of film. But in the movie, the very obnoxious main character played by Chevy Chase, what does he do? Well, he expects that he's going to receive a Christmas bonus. He expects and assumes he's going to receive a big Christmas bonus from work, and he preemptively pays for a pool to be put in his backyard. He hires a contractor, pays for the pool installation, even before he gets the bonus. And of course, what happens in the movie? All of the little mishaps were leading up to one big mishap, which was his stingy boss doesn't give him the Christmas bonus. And he's already out the money that it costs to pay for for the pool. It's It's the straw that breaks the camel's back in the film. Um... Now, it's one thing for us to budget as if we're going to receive an annual bonus, but it's another to bank on it in such a way that we act carelessly. Um, Our own assumptions take precedence. And if if our own assumptions take precedence, we will not be ready for the realities of life, and we won't be ready... um, to tell our wife that we just wasted a bunch of money on a pool that we can't afford. In the parable here, the bridegroom was delayed. They all became, the, 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 the maidens all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, what does it say? There was a cry, here is the bridegroom, they say, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil. 
Quick, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. See, the wise, the wise still have their hearts and minds on honoring the bride and the groom. If they give some of their oil to the foolish bridesmaids, no one will have enough. All their lamps will actually go out. There will be no fire to light the procession and to lead and celebrate the happy couple. The party will be in an embarrassing flop. This is why these maidens are foolish. They're invited to be bridesmaids, which is a great honor in the first place. They're asked to help increase the joy and celebration of the party, but why are they not ready? They assume, they presume a certain time. They assumed in early coming. They did not think about the likelihood of a delay. And they illustrate to us a misguided faith, a faith that is not ultimately true. Nothing about the wedding and a being in the procession is as they expected. The foolish ones run off to buy more oil, and while gone, the groom comes and the rest of the party comes inside, and the others are locked out and excluded from the wedding ceremony where the Lord says, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. In the parable, Jesus tells us that he is the bridegroom. The maidens are his people. The groom's arrival is his second coming. And being locked out in the cold of night is the judgment of the second coming. All of these illustrative points of the parable are all pieces that underscore the character of the maidens between the wise and the foolish. Jesus is not saying that one is saved by their own wise preparation. His point is that we have a role in these last days as his people, and that honorable role is to attend to the ordinary life around us with diligence. Do not speculate. Do not assume. Do not have lists of expectations about how the world should look and what God should or should not be doing. See, to be ready, to be watchful, right, does not mean living life, looking up at the sky with your head in the clouds, trying to discern the signs of the times. To be watchful and ready means to persevere in your ordinary life. To work, eat, sleep, like the virgins do, the wise virgins do. God calls us to be patient and persevere in ordinary life because your life matters. Everything you do, no matter how mundane, it matters. Don't, do not be tempted to neglect your ordinary life and responsibilities with other things. Is there a conflict in the Middle East? If there is, do we begin speculating, planning or reading about the news to see if some kind of biblical prophecy is being fulfilled? Do we think that the world has gotten so bad and so upside down that we should shelter from the world, seclude ourselves from it until God's judgment? 
Do we believe that what matters most in the Christian life is some kind of radical conversion experience and so we neglect just being an ordinary committed member in a church? Do we think that the church has gotten too weak in its teaching and so we demand that the church, church shift its, its mission? Do we neglect going to church and instead just listen to our preferred pundits on podcasts? Do we constantly compare our, experience, our spiritual experience, our home, our life to the lives of others or even the lives of those we see online, thereby becoming dissatisfied and unthankful for how God has actually provided for us? These are foolish things. They distract us and divide our attention from ordinary faithfulness They give us expectations and assumptions of how life and things should be going, and they distract us from the reality of life that is right now. And when we are distracted from ordinary life, we live a life bent on our own glory. See, the foolish maidens, they do run to meet the groom, but their running is frantic. Initially, they assumed there would be an early arrival, and they did not want to wait. And when they had to wait, they did so absent-mindedly. They did so with complacence. But extra oil was available. The wise maidens availed themselves to extra oil before the procession even started, and the foolish were not content to do the ordinary work of what it means to be a good bridesmaid. They set their own terms. They neglected the provision of oil. The wise did not. The foolish ones desired only a quick arrival. They scorned the provision that was provided them. And instead, they just wanted an early arrival. That's what they expected. That's what they wanted. A related correlating Old Testament passage to this is Amos 5, where Israel, where Amos the prophet is prosecuting Israel for failing to uphold and keep the covenant that God had made with them. They have neglected the weightier things of the law, like mercy and justice busied themselves in calling woes down upon their enemies in society, calling down woes and judgment on them, wishing that the day of the Lord would just appear and smite their enemies. There was people around these leaders in Israel hurting, oppressed people, poor people who were hurt in the covenant community of God, bringing their needs to the leaders. And they were saying, no, 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 yeah, I see you're hurting, but the news, look what they're doing to us. Look what's coming down the pipeline. Look how they're encroaching upon us. That's where their attention was. Not, they were neglecting the important things and prioritizing the things that they should not have. Amos 5 says, Alas for you who desire the day of the Lord. Why do you want the day of the Lord, Amos says? It is darkness, not light. As if someone fled from a lion and was then met by a bear or went into the house and rested a hand against the wall and was bitten by a snake. Is not the day of the Lord darkness, not light, and gloom with no brightness in it? Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not 
accept them, says the Lord. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. They neglected the responsibilities that God had for them right in front of them, and they neglected how God was providing for them in the midst of their suffering, in the midst of their persecution as a people. God was still providing for them, and the people were neglecting it all. They kept asking for the day of the Lord. You keep talking about the day of the Lord, but I don't think it means what you think it means. It is not going to be good news. It's going to be sober. That judgment, do you really want to call that judgment down early? We can be so anxious about the world that we neglect how God has provided for us in the meantime. In church, God has provided for us in these last days. He has provided for us. Not in ecstatic visions, not in heart-palpitating spiritual experiences, not in the advice of self-help gurus and how to make our lives more optimized and materially successful. He has provided us ordinary means of grace, prayer, fellowship, the Word of God, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. When we scorn these provisions, we will not make it through the night. We become unwilling to wait on the Lord, to suffer for Christ's sake and share in His sufferings. We become unwilling to love our neighbor as ourselves. We don't even think about our neighbor because we are caught up in meeting our own expectations. We are not ready for the delay. So how can we be ready? How can we be watchful? How can we be wise in the last days? this parable says, how? Go to bed. Take a nap like the wise maidens. Do not neglect your body. Take care of it. Do not neglect your work that you do every day. Do it well. Do not neglect your home. Make it hospitable. Do not neglect your friends. See how they are doing. Make some time for them. Do not neglect the needy in your midst as a church. Don't be anxious about all the things happening out there that causes you to neglect the responsibilities in front of you. If you're married, do not neglect your spouse. Prioritize them. Make a date night happen. Think intentionally about a Christmas gift that you know will bring them joy. If you can't think of one, go on their Pinterest or just ask for their Amazon list. Do not neglect your family. Look after them. Love them. Know their needs and work to meet them. Do not neglect your church. Pray for her. Do not neglect the ordinary means of grace. Attend to them on the Lord's day. Do not neglect the Lord. Seek Him. Trust His word that you 
do not know the day nor the hour of his return. The way of the wise is to not be complacent in these things. As Peter writes in 1 Peter 4, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, therefore sell everything you have, quit your job, do something extraordinary out of your ordinary daily life. That's not what Peter says. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as God, as good stewards of God's varied grace. That is the etiquette of the last days for the Christian. Our assumptions, our expectations do not take precedence over those ordinary things. See, we honor the Lord in these last days by not holding our own lives in disdain. It's foolish and a waste of our precious time and attention to give our affections over to the speculation and the expectations and the assumptions and various opinions of ourselves and others who would lead us away from our daily responsibilities, no matter how mundane. It is foolish for, and, and it is foolish for those outside the church or inside the church, for that matter, to conduct their lives in a way assuming that they will not give an account to God. The parallel parable to this at the end of 23 is very clear about this. People who think, oh, God's not coming back. I can get away with whatever I want. It's foolish. It is foolish, and it's foolish not just because it is a bad thing to do. It's foolish because today is the day of salvation. Today there is provision for all of us. Today God delays because he has more mercy and grace to pour out in this broken world. The delay is not bad news it is God's way of bringing more into his procession. Today, God extends to us all the free offer of the gospel, the good news that Christ, the groom himself, has kept all the requirements of the law perfectly, died for our sins, rose again for our justification, and intercedes for us even now at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. But right now, today, we cling to our bridegroom by faith. And we receive the benefits of salvation today. Do not scorn this provision. Because it's been made for you. Provision has been made. It has been paid for for you. We receive it freely. Our bridegroom is delayed. And we may doubt that he is coming again. We may doubt. 
our hearts may wander for a time. We may forget our ordinary responsibilities and busy ourselves by chasing after our own glory. We may feel that we are weak, and the answer is not to work harder, to run more frantically, and to try harder, to busy ourselves with more. The answer is to rest, to sleep as the maidens did. Attend to the provisions of God. They've been made for you. Rest in them. Rest in them because they are enough for you. Do not neglect them. They're enough. God's grace is enough. And when we rest in that, be assured that when we hear his voice pierce the dark of the night, it will be nothing to fear. It will be the announcement that our bridegroom has come to claim us. He's coming to claim you. And he has provided all we need to get through the night. He comes to receive you as his beloved bride. As we approach Advent, one of my favorite hymns of that season is O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I'll just read a verse or two, uh, two verses from that. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. O come, O bright and morning star, and bring us comfort from afar. Dispel the shadows of the night and turn our darkness into light. He is coming, and his delay is because he has more mercy and grace to give. Attend to his provisions to you and the free offer of the gospel. Believe and trust and lean on Christ and rest. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, oh God, we love you. We thank you that you have met our needs. You have provided for us to survive the night, to get through the toils of this world, the toils we feel within ourselves, the toils outside of ourselves. We know that when we are anxious, we distract ourselves. We run frantically. Our assumptions, our, our, our expectations get the best of us. But, oh God, you tarry and delay because there are more that you are calling into your wonderful procession where we may worship you in glory and we may enjoy everlasting life together with you. Bless us now. Bless this church. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.